What's going on, folks? Contender Series Week 3 breakdowns for you guys. Trying out a new date here on the Friday. Uh, the last run I did was on Sunday, and it still gave us pretty good, uh, pretty good work and pretty good uh, numbers. But I'm wondering what it would look like if I'm able to be uh, one of the first guys on the bill here to go out there and give my predictions and stuff. So I'm hoping Friday afternoons is normally where I can kind of lean on to go out and do these breakdowns. And then obviously later in the day, do my ultimate weigh-in show uh, for the UFC weigh-ins, uh, which actually just wrapped up right now. So if you guys want to hear my thoughts on the UFC weigh-ins, I'll be talking about that on the ultimate weigh-in show at 6 p.m. Eastern this evening. I'll be having uh, a first-timer on the show, but uh, he's a very sharp dude. He's currently the number one guy in the $500 lock of the night challenge. His name is Gordo Gambles. He'll be coming on the show with me at 6 p.m. to break down this card one last time. I'm trying to figure out what this... Yeah. What is that? Let me get the dough. There we go. It's out of there. This fucking string I got to cut out, but still bugging me. I still love this hat. I don't care what people say. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this five-fight UFC Dana White Contender Series card. Let me just pull it up real quick here for you guys. Um, lots talk about the last event though, right? Like what a fucking war it was for a lot of those fights, specifically the um the the main event, right, between Charlie Campbell and Chris Duncan. That was an absolute fire uh fight there. We saw Charlie Campbell almost get him out of there early, but obviously Chris Duncan comes back with that uh, uh, crazy uh one two combination then that follow-up shot on the ground was just a thing of beauty um i went two and three on predictions that night um hoping that we can go at least three and two or four and one this time around based on that and i'll say this um i was a little bit hesitant in terms of taking the shot on salvador because i was even saying during that breakdown of the shannon ross fight that like i felt as though shannon ross was the flimsiest um was the flimsiest uh, favorite on that card. And it seemed like a lot of people were on the Shannon Ross side that night, hoping a lot of people had listened to my breakdown and kind of kept him out of their plays. Um, although if they listened to me and put Charlie Campbell in their plays, they're probably ripping up their tickets as well. But uh, I should have had the confidence to go out there and actually just play a little bit on Salvador, especially with how wide that line was. And me, obviously, you know, sh showcasing and, 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 and realizing that uh, he was too big of a favorite and could absolutely shit the bed there. So what I'm going to try to do is if I do feel pretty flimsy about a favorite, especially a big favorite, I will end up going with the underdog and uh, and making that my prediction. So we'll see how that goes going forward. Again, we will talk about um, the, the UFC Vegas 59 weigh-ins on the Ultimate Weigh-in Show a little bit later. I just want to pound out this contender series breakdown for you guys and get it out of the way. All right, first fight on this five-fight contender series card. We got Sandra Lovato going up against Carolina Wojcik. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 250 on Wojcik and plus 210, the return on Sandra Lovato. Now, Sandra Lovato was the first one I started taping out of both of these women, and I started off pretty early in her career, and you can see the you know, the, the weirdness in her game, like the, the, the lack of experience at that point in time, right? We're talking about April of 2017, where she went up against Andrea Sorolus. And I honestly thought that Sorolus was uh, uh, Sandra Lovato to begin with, because I don't look at anything before I 
you know, uh, before I run the tape. Like I run the tape first, make up my narratives first, then I'll look at their topology record, then I'll look at the betting odds, and then make my decision based off of that. But mainly due to the the film study, and I legitimately thought that Andrea was the 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 Sandra here because of uh, her fighting style. Right, she was feisty, she was moving forward, she was throwing a lot of volume. Unfortunately, she got caught in a knee bar by Sandra later in that fight, uh, and then I start to realize, oh, that's actually Sandra. Sandra, you know, long, lanky. She uses her range decently, but there's not a lot of power behind her shots. Uh, she throws kind of winging-ish hooks. Uh, she can be quite effective from the outside, but it seems like her troubles come when people actually initiate the grappling exchanges with her. She does have a couple of submission victories on her record, which would lead you to believe that she's pretty uh, solid on the ground. But when she's getting an uh, armbar victory over an 0-0 opponent or an armbar, uh, another one over an 0-0 opponent, opponent one and no knee bar you know oh and oh arm bar as well like she's not fighting women of that high level or of that high caliber you know the the best woman she faced has beaten her twice in terms of record wise I, i'm saying so uh not a good look there she's a rangy striker that's pretty much all you're going to get from her she doesn't look to engage in the grappling too much unless her opponent initiates it and that's exactly what i'm thinking that woe chick is going to be doing here after i saw the first fight from woe chick i'm like oh She's going to be a hefty favorite in this spot. I was thinking at least minus 300. I was close to it uh, in terms of the opener. The opener actually, sorry, the opener was minus 200, but we saw immediate action that brought it down to minus 250. Now she's hanging around minus 250. And I think she's a damn good spot to go out there and uh, to look at that price tag. Carolina is feisty. She comes forward. She has great shots down the middle in terms of her striking. And even her wrestling shots, I think, are very... Uh, you know, for for that women's division, I think it's, uh, you know, above average. And I think that Sandra Lovato is going to struggle in terms of keeping this fight upright, which will allow Wojcik to continuously get this to the ground, work her through the mat. And it's not like she's a lay-in prayer either. She goes out there and she looks to finish her opponents. She has a ton of experience against legit opponents compared to what Sandra has been going up against uh, over there in the, the South American scene. But, you know, she does have... Uh, a loss to Cheyenne Vlismus earlier in her pro MMA career, a fight that could have gone either way. Very close fight. She had grappling success. Uh, Cheyenne had grappling success, but uh, it was ultimately uh, Cheyenne who gets her hand raised that night. But like all of the opponents, you know, would give Sandra Lovato uh, some issues, in my opinion. All of Carolina's opponents would give Sandra some issues, is what I believe. So I, I like Wojcik here. Um, I would parlay her. I'm going to actually look to parlay her with something for next weekend's card uh, just to, um, you know, to, just to take advantage of it. I really think that this is one of those spots that can be taken advantage of. There, there's another one I'm considering later on the card, but uh, but I feel like Carolina is probably, you know, if there was a lock of the night per se at decent enough odds, you know, not Bo Nickel at minus 1,400, but at minus 250, I think Carolina is a very solid spot. She should be able to go out there and do absolute work here against Sandra Lovato. So give me uh, give me Wojcik, and I think she wins this fight by decision, although she could find some finishing opportunities for herself should Sandra really start to, you know, break under that, that grapple-heavy style of Carolina. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. We're going to be talking about a flyweight fight between Clayton Carpenter and Edgar Chirez. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 280 on Carpenter and plus 240 the return on Edgar Chirez. Now, 
watching the Alberto Trujillo fight for Chavez, you kind of see why Clayton Carpenter will more than likely go out there and win this fight. If he just follows Trujillo's blueprint, he will be more successful and will likely be able to get a finish, whereas Trujillo had to grind out Chavez over 15 minutes. Clayton Carpenter is probably one of the most complete fighters I saw at 2-0, right? He's 5-0 at this point in time, but the first fight I saw of his was when he was 2-0. And I'm like, God damn, this kid is good. He has great striking. He has phenomenal wrestling. He has a great uh, coaching staff behind him over at the MMA lab. But he kind of reminded me of uh, the kid from last week, uh, Marshall, the kid that got it done. You know, I should have gone with Marshall. That seemed like an obvious play, and I kind of went against my whole narrative of, you know, being questionable about guys that have been able to go out there and just get quick finishes. Whereas with Marshall, we saw, you know, him deal with a little bit of adversity and still go out there and win a 15 minute fight. Carpenter is the guy that can go out there and win the 15 minute fight. And he can absolutely go out there and win this fight in 13 seconds like he did in his last fight. I love this kid's style. I think he can beat some flyweights currently on the UFC roster with his style. And as long as his durability continues to hold up, uh, again, not saying that he's super hittable or anything like that, but that is usually the way that guys are going to be able to beat him is by just Hail Mary shot. And that's what Edgar Chirez is going to need here. Edgar, long, lanky, uh, 125er. He's standing at five foot seven. Uh, Clayton Carpenter coming in at 5'5". Five five. I would be interested to see what the reach is going to be on Edgar here. But Edgar, uh, long, lanky ranger, similar to Sandra Lovato, but throws with way more heat, throws, throws with way more conviction, and he's very adamant in terms of getting finishes. I believe all of his wins, yes, all of his wins have come via finish, which is very impressive, but again, Level of competition is a little bit sketchy compared to what uh, Clayton Carpenter... Actually, Clayton Carpenter's level of competition has been a little sketchy itself. You know, 1 and 2, 1 and 3, 0 and 0, 3 and 1, 5 and 2. Whereas Edgar Chavez has been fighting these uh, regional guys down there in Mexico uh, who are like 10 and 3, 5 and 2, 4 and 1, 4 and 1, 3 and 1, 0 and 2. So he, he fought a guy that was 7 and 4 in his fourth ever fight and he beat him via spinning elbow and punches. He's a very fun striker, for sure. He could give some guy guys issues, but I see the hole in his game, which, just like Sandra, is the grappling. It's the takedowns. I think that Clayton Carpenter will stay safe enough on the feet to eventually open up that takedown opportunity, and I think from there he should be able to take this fight home without too much concern. So give me uh, Clayton Carpenter. I actually want to parlay him with, um, with Carolina Wojcik, honestly. I might look to do that for one unit as an official bet. But if you guys want like multi-event parlay pieces, I think Carpenter and Wojcik are probably the best way to go for this card specifically. Again, I am not going to say, you know, minus 1400 on Bo Nickel, you should be going out there and parlaying that with everything. Because like, just for an example here, uh, on Bet Online, you parlay Carolina Wojcik and Clayton Carpenter, you're getting minus 111. You add Bo Nickel at minus 1,400, it only goes up to plus 104. So very small increase if you add Bo Nickel to anything. Again, we'll get to the Bo Nickel uh, breakdown, and he should absolutely win that fight. But at a certain point, you got to think that number is just a little bit too high because we have to remember at the end of the day, this is MMA. We've been seeing some injuries over the last couple of events. We've been seeing some banana peel moments for a lot of guys, and that could absolutely happen with Bo Nickel as well. So you don't want to get caught with your hand in the cookie jar here with uh, that minus 1,400 on Bo Nickel. 
uh, in a parlay that where everything else ends up hitting, but Bonica ends up fucking it up. But again, Bonica should run through this guy. I'll get to that very shortly. So pick for the last fight, like I said, is going to be Clayton Carpenter. I think he could get Chires out of there eventually, maybe with a submission or a, a late TKO. But I think his style is going to be too much for um, for Clayton. Or sorry, the style is going to be too much for Edgar Chires. Hype MMA saying Clayton is lock. I absolutely agree. Alan Chan saying what's the lock for tonight? I haven't looked at PFL, my friend, so I apologize. I cannot give you uh, an educated answer to that question. All right, let's move on to the next fight here as I take a sip of my water. This has got to be the fight that I'm looking forward to most. Anvar Boynazarov going up against Eric Silva in terms of odds. We have Eric Silva as a slight favorite here as he's coming in around minus 155, plus 135, the return on Anvar Boynazarov. This is the fight, like I said, that I'm looking most forward to this uh, on this card. It's going to be fun. We got 3-0 Anvar Boynazarov, who has a storied glory kickboxing career, but in MMA, still relatively new. Made his MMA debut back in December of 2020. He's had three fights. He's finished all opponents under a minute and 40 seconds, which is very impressive. But you got to wonder what it looks like when he starts taking steps up in competition. We know what his game is, right? Let's go out there and strike. He has nasty leg kicks. He was able to finish his first opponent off just with leg kicks alone. Um, and his striking, very fast, very disciplined, very crisp. He keeps everything tight. He keeps everything disciplined, which is why you see him strike with so much success. Uh, in regards to Eric Silva, I, I get why Eric Silva is the favorite here, right? He has solid striking, but he gets his best work done when he gets the fights to the mat and he's able to use his jiu-jitsu. So if you have a guy who's not a complete fish out of water in the striking realm and obviously has a clear advantage in the grappling realm, you got to make that guy the favorite. I completely understand. My qualm with the Eric Silva side here is like the takedowns and the way that we're seeing him get fights to the ground I think are a little bit flimsy. Like I think that Anvar, you know, from what he's, from what little he's shown from us stays very disciplined with his striking. Like he does not overthrow. He doesn't overextend. He stays ready for shots that are inevitably coming his way. Right. You know, as a high level kickboxer, the way Anvar is that once you step into the MMA cage, guys are going to be looking to take it to the ground over and over again. So, he stays disciplined. He's waiting for the shots from his opponents, and then he'll eventually start letting his own strikes go. Eric Silva, you know, like I said, the majority of the ways that I've seen the fights get to the ground and him get to his jiu-jitsu are one with him rocking his opponent, two with his opponents looking to get the fight to the ground, and three, you know, I saw uh, a single leg that he was able to land on one of his opponents, but I feel as though Anvar will be very, very privy to those types of uh, takedown entries, and he'll either make them pay with a knee, he'll make them pay with a sprawl, or he'll just be able to get out of the way and not get taken down. It is absolutely possible that he can be exposed here by the more complete mixed martial artist than Eric Silva. However, I just have something in the back of my head that's just like, Anvar could pull this off, man. Anvar could go out there and get the knockout victory of his own. So what I'd actually be looking to tackle is the under one and a half. Whenever the one and a half drops, which I absolutely believe it will, considering Anvar's run, especially considering Eric Silva's run, he's currently on a four-fight first-round finish streak. 
it makes sense as to why this will be set at one and a half. And I'd absolutely take the shot there as either we get Silva, get this fight to the ground and dominate Anvar, eventually opening up a submission opportunity where he can get the get his hand raised or Anvar just blasts him on the feet and just gets him out of there. So the pick is going to be Anvar Boy, Boy Nazarov. Um, but the, the bet that I would recommend here would be the violence bet. Under one and a half, totally on board with it. And again, the fight that I'm looking forward to most here, easily. Hype MMA saying uh, Anvar is Giga's daddy. <laughs> Josh Ruffrick saying, does this feel like the weakest card of the year lock uh, for UFC Vegas 59? Probably. Alan Chan saying, if I had to make a pick, would I go with Pettis or Stevie Ray? I would go with Pettis. I get it, Stevie Ray just beat him. But if you guys watched that fight back, Pettis was pretty much running that entire fight. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. I love these contender series cards because we can just bang through these uh, these matchups relatively quickly. We're only 16 minutes into the stream, and we are three fights down. I love it. Two more fights to go. Next up is in the heavyweight division. We got Paulo Hanato Jr. going up against Jamal Pogues. Uh, I hope that's how we pronounce it. Uh, minus 310 on Pogues and plus 260 on Paulo Hanato Jr. Very intriguing fight here as well because the Paulo Hanato side, not much data available on, on him in terms of actual uh, fight footage. You know, if anybody does have footage on Hanato that I may not have seen as of yet, I've only seen the uh, Hobinson uh, Silvera fight and the uh, Rafael Hernandez fight. And those fights were pre 2017. And why I say 2017 is because that's the last time he fought at 170 pounds. He took four years off, nearly four years off, came back in 2021, and he came back as a heavyweight. But no, this is not a Jake Collier type of situation in terms of coming back and looking completely out of shape. This guy looks ripped and buff at heavyweight, at least from the last pictures that I've seen. So I think that we'll see him go out there and and look pretty good uh, at this weight class. He's been able to go 3-0. He's forced two guys uh, to lose via retirement uh, in the second rounds of his first two fights, although level of competition needs to be questioned there. And then he knocked out his last opponent in a minute and 44 seconds. He seems to be a solid, fluid striker. Seems to have some jiu-jitsu up his uh, alley as well. Um, Jamal Pogues, on the other hand, looks like a very complete fighter in his own right. You know, he did get a, a shot on the contender series where he was able to beat Marcos Regagao, uh, but uh, he did not put on a, a good enough performance to get signed to the UFC. He ends up going to LFA, losing his first fight there uh, against uh, Alex Polizzi, who's obviously now in the in the Bellator cage, but then follows that up with a win over Tim Hilly. Now, that fight was two years ago. You know, he's been out of the cage for a while now. Uh, he's... he's uh, He's also 26 years old, so he doesn't have too much time. Uh, uh, you know, he doesn't have to worry uh, in, in regards to being too quick with his time. But <clears throat> my main concern with Jamal Pogues comes here is the, the the cardio. You know, him falling off, him looking to life or death grapple in round three so he doesn't get knocked out or finished by his opponents. Unfortunately, that's happened to him twice, though. He got submitted by Jordan Young in uh, a fight that he was absolutely winning in the first two and a half rounds, but then gets uh, uh, armbarred with just less than two minutes left in the in, in the fight. Then the Alex Polizzi fight, that was a five-round fight where he gets heel-hooked 41 seconds into the fourth round. Like, he does have a steep decline 
over that two round, two and a half round mark where guys can absolutely take advantage of him. Paulo Hanato, again, that is just not out there enough for me to go out there and be like, stick my flag in the ground and be like, you know, bet Paulo Hanato he's going to pull off the upset. But he could absolutely make things very tough here for Jamal Pogues, especially if this fight gets into that third round. Pogues, solid striker, uses his range very well. He's very tall and lanky for this uh, for this heavyweight division. 6'3", 77-inch reach. Um, but it's just that cardio that gives me some issues. Uh, he has solid grappling. That's where he gets his best work done is when he's able to get these guys to the ground and out-muscle out them. But cardio is no bueno for me, and I can't pay heavy chalk on a guy that has bad cardio. So like I said... Uh, at the beginning of this stream, if I feel very flimsy about a big favorite here, I'm going to end up going with the underdog here, which I'll do with Paulo Hanato. I just wish we had more footage on the Hanato side to see what he looks like at 265 or at this heavyweight weight class, I should say. And, um, you know, can he deal with that Pogue style of uh, of wrestling and how good is his jiu-jitsu really off of his back? Those things remain to be seen. We'll probably find out this weekend or, or sorry, on Tuesday. You know, still getting used to dropping these contender series breakdowns for you guys, but that is a, an absolute concern. So I'll go at uh, Paulo Hanato. I don't think it's going to be a popular pick amongst masses, as uh, again, Jamal Pose does a lot of things well. It's just his cardio that gives me some issues here. And if he can't get Hanato out there early, it's going to look rough for him. I will say this I might revisit this after what the weigh ins look like. Um, but from all accounts, it looks like uh, Paulo Hanato's in very good shape for a, a guy that used to fight at 170 pounds, but now finds himself at heavyweight. So, uh, like I said, I'll go with Paulo Hanato with the late finish. Please avoid Pogues, in my opinion. That guy will gas the fuck out and probably fumble the bag later in this fight. Uh, hype MMA saying Pogues via WrestleFuck. That's absolutely live. But if he doesn't get him out of there, I just do not like how much he slows down later in fights. Maybe Hanato can uh, take advantage of that. This is a bad matchup for Paulo, in my opinion. Again, I've only seen two fights of Paulo, right? He looked great in those spots. He was able to get the finishes. But this will be his toughest test to date. We'll see how it goes. All right. Main event time. We're going to be talking about the highly touted, highly anticipated appearance of Bo Nickel. He's going to be going up against Zachary Borrego in terms of odds. Like I said earlier today or earlier in the podcast, minus 1,400 on Bo Nickel, plus 700 on Zachary Borrego. That's, let's not beat around the bush. That's, you know, we know what this is. We know this is a setup spot for Bo Nico. We know he should go out there and smash this guy. There's a reason as soon as he opened up at minus 300 that he got you know, pushed all the way to minus 1,400. Standout wrestler, amazing grappler, has been working over there at ATT for a couple uh, years now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's looking to make that transition to MMA and be very successful at it. And he has all the talent to do so. Striking looks like it's catching up to his wrestling, but it's still, you know, we got to see what it looks like against legitimate competition. My qualm is the fact that he only has one pro MMA fight. He has two amateur fights. All these fights, he's finishing relatively quickly. We know once you get to the UFC, the level of competition goes up so much more. So what I would hate to happen for Bo Nickel is to 
smash this guy and get put into the UFC right away. I absolutely feel like Dana White's going to even say the same thing. This guy's only one to know. You know, what I hope the UFC would look to do is give this guy a development deal. Give this guy a deal similar to what they did with Chase Hooper. Put it, put him on the regional shows on Fight Pass, right? Put him on CFFC. Put him on Island Fights. Put him on Titan FC, whatever the fuck it is. Get him more experience against legit regional guys. And if he passes those with flying colors, bring him over to the UFC. We need to see him face adversity. And, you know, usually guys don't face adversity in their first several fights, but still, like, taking a big step up to the UFC is, is, is not an easy thing to do. He has the wrestling to do it, but does he have the cardio? That's going to be a big question mark, right? He hasn't been pushed. He hasn't faced adversity. If he faces adversity, how is he going to react to that? Will his striking be enough to hang with the guys uh, in the UFC? May, again, he could probably beat up on the lower level guys in that weight class, but still some question marks. But if he's able to put it together very well, like if he can really mix in his striking well with his grappling and utilize his wrestling even more, he has a high ceiling in the middleweight division because there's just not a lot of guys with grappling upside in the heavyweight division, or the middleweight division, sorry, I should say. He should have tremendous success there, right? Like, that's why Izzy, his toughest grappling test he's faced to date is, at least in the middleweight division, is Marvin Vittori. But Marvin Vittori is not this college-level level wrestler, right? Like, he can't hold a candle to uh, to what Bonek was able to do on the wrestling mats. So he could absolutely thrive in this division. It just all depends on how he's able to put everything together. I just don't know. I, I really don't know if... Um, he can he can make a, a, a quick stamp in the UFC if he gets his contract this weekend or, or on Tuesday. But uh, I think he wins this fight relatively easy. Borrego, uh, he's a brawler. He gets taken down easily. Like the first fight I saw of him, the guy got taken down and submitted, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was one of his uh, amateur fights. Uh, which one was it? Yeah, the Felipe Hocha fight. Get, uh, that was November of 2021. We're talking about less than a year ago, guys. He got taken down with relative ease and choked out. Since then, he's put together three wins. You know, again, a lot of it based around his power and his striking style. But we know Bo Nickel will likely, you know, he'll probably play around on the feet a little bit and he could potentially get caught in those situations. But maybe if he feels a little bit of resistance, he'll look to get this fight to the ground, which I don't think will be all that hard. And then from there, he should be able to get the work done. I think the UFC's got to give Zachary Borrega another shot, uh, or at least in the contender series later on in this season. Because we know what they're doing here. They're setting him up. So pay the favor back, put him up against somebody else uh, on a later episode of the Contender Series, and maybe he can give us a better, you know, a, a better idea of what he actually brings to the table. But this is a squash spot. Let's let's be honest. This is a squash spot. Joshua Frick asking, can you talk about why fast twitch muscle fiber guys gas so fast? Um, I'd say, well, it depends on the guy's style, right? Like, will he play it safe? Like, will he do the Jack Hermanson thing where they can just stick on the outside and just stay safe enough by throwing minimal output or half-assed output? Or do these guys just go out there and Terrence McKinney it? Do they just go out there and just throw big, big strikes and big shots? It's how they manage their gas tank. But those fast-twitch muscle guys, they they know they can use that to their advantage to get early finishes, but if they can't get that finish, then all that energy they use to try to get these guys out of there eventually bites, bites them in the ass. 
we got some guys answering the question as well. But first, HSP saying Sakat, that's my team. Love this logo. Love this logo. Scott Tix is saying, Lock is too early, man. Just woke up. Well, I got another stream coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time, which is uh, two, three and a half hours from now. So make sure you come back for that. HSP saying because fast twitch muscle is based on short explosive movement moves, leaning on their ATP stores. Somebody please let me know what ATP stands for. Let's see. Aden adenosine triphosphate. Energy carrying molecule found on the cells of all living things. There you guys go. Some science for your ass on this contender series. All right. Happy to keep this nice, short, and sweet, just under 30 minutes. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. Hope you guys are enjoying the Contender Series breakdowns. I know a lot of people were very appreciative of it for the last episode that I dropped. Hopefully, we can continue to see these numbers rake in at the same clip as the last one. And hopefully, we can go 3-2 and two or 4-1 and one compared to the 2-3 and three that I went last week. Always remember, be safe with the Contender Series. Shit is volatile as hell, especially with the stipulations that Dana has set out there in regards to being, you know, uh, being entertaining, putting on a highlight reel, and that might put guys into some risky positions that they might not end up fighting the same style that they normally fight in. So be very careful. But uh, I feel pretty de decent about the the picks and, and predictions that I just gave out to you guys. All right. Love you guys. I'll be back at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, anybody watching on the live stream, I'll be back at 6 p.m. Eastern to break down UFC Vegas 59 one last time with my guy, excuse me, Gordo Gambles. First time on the show. Should be a fun time. Always great having a fellow Canuck on the show as well. So make sure you guys check that out. Join me at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on this channel. All right, good luck on the Contender Series, and I'll see you guys again next week for a week four, which I'll get started on in the next couple of days here and drop once again on Friday afternoon. Peace.